Imagine if your body's immune system developed an abnormality, and instead of helping to fight off infection, it began mistaking good bacteria and other matter in the intestinal or digestive tract as invading substances. For over one and a half million people in the U.S. suffering from inflammatory bowel diseases, it's all too real. On today's show, we'll learn about two primary inflammatory bowel diseases, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. What's known about them? What can be done to treat them? And what more can we learn about them through research? Research in inflammatory bowel disease is very important. Even though we obviously need more drugs, we also need to understand better how the disease behaves and improve how the medications that we have now available work. And the only way of doing that is through high quality research. And later, we'll hear from one community member who participated in a national clinical trial for a medication to treat Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and learn about his outcome and outlook. It's an important look at a sensitive topic as we discuss inflammatory bowel disease inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. I appreciate spending the next 30 minutes with you as we discover together. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions in advancing biomedical research and finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more economical than ever. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Our body is uniquely designed with a defense system to protect us from infection. But sometimes, for reasons unknown to even the most knowledgeable medical experts, the immune system can act in abnormal ways. Inflammatory bowel disease affects over 1.5 million people in the U.S. today. Back in 2011, the U.S. Senate passed Senate Resolution 199 to implement and support Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week, held annually from December 1st through 7th. The week is intended to bring awareness to the needs of those suffering with these often devastating inflammatory bowel diseases, to express appreciation for the family members who support them, and to commend healthcare professionals and biomedical researchers working diligently to advance research aimed at finding new treatments and, perhaps one day, a cure. With Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week rapidly approaching, we believe it's an ideal time to share information with you. For this, we turn to Dr. Andreas Yarer from the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at Freydert Hospital and Assistant Professor at the Medical College of Wisconsin. He begins by telling us that the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program has seen considerable growth in recent years, and it's during this time he joined the faculty. The Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at the Medical College of Wisconsin has been up and running for several years now. Since then, multiple physicians have been involved and I think has been growing 
everything, especially in the last two years. And I joined the faculty a little bit more than a year ago. Next, he shares with us how he came to choose gastroenterology as a career path in joining the IBD program. I was always interested in gastrointestinal diseases. Now, during my first year of internship at the University of Miami, I met one of my big mentors and she kind of talked me into the uh, IBD and I was able to get in the world and recognize these diseases which sometimes are not really well known by some people. They're so devastating. They can really affect somebody's quality of life and it's a good way of combining the clinical area, in other words, seeing patients and interacting with them and trying to help them, but at the same time, try to advance the science and indirectly helping patients through research. So what specific diseases are commonly treated through the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program? The IVD program focuses on two main conditions. One is ulcerative colitis, and the other one is Crohn's disease. Even though those are the two classic recognized entities, it's really more of a spectrum of diseases. And even though they're not considered inflammatory bowel diseases, we also see other intestinal inflammatory conditions like microscopic colitis or uh, celiac disease. Not considered inflammatory bowel diseases, even though that's more of a semantic. But within our division, we are the ones that most commonly see these patients. Understanding that, Dr. Yar and the IBD program team are, in fact, dealing with a spectrum of conditions. For today, show will focus on the two main ones, specifically ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. First, what exactly is ulcerative colitis? Ulcerative colitis can affect up to the entire colon, but can also be limited to the rectum or what we call the left colon. Exact etiology is not 100% clear, but we do know now that is a abnormal immune response to quote-unquote good bacteria that we all have in our bowel, though in the background of a specific genetic mutations that are associated. In other words, somebody that is genetically predisposed to have ulcerative colitis can develop this disease. People with ulcerative colitis experience multiple symptoms, including frequent urgent bowel movements, persistent diarrhea, abdominal pain, or cramping. Typically, there's blood in the stool. Symptoms tend to come in flare-ups, then go away for considerable periods of time between flare-ups. Remission periods can last for months or even years, but for the most part, the symptoms come back in addition flare-ups. So who typically suffers from ulcerative colitis? There's no really difference in genders. In terms of race or type of population, people think that it affects mostly Caucasians. We know nowadays that that's not really necessarily true. Inflammatory viruses can affect anyone. There's also no specific age group. The original teaching is that it affects mainly young people. But we can see patients with ulcerative colitis at any age. And we do have patients in their 80s or 90s with inflammatory bowel disease that we commonly see here and in other hospitals. What role do genetics play? Is ulcerative colitis known to be hereditary? There's definitely a hereditary component. The problem is that it's a very complex genetic disease in terms of how many genes are involved, what's the combination of genes that you need to have in order to develop the disease. Some people can have the mutation but do not develop the disease, but the person needs to have a specific genetic background. Now, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America estimates that roughly 900,000 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. As far as the totals for all inflammatory bowel diseases, there's an estimate of about 1.6 million people with inflammatory bowel diseases. Other countries have more. Some other areas are much 
much lower. But in the U.S., the estimated prevalence is about 1.6 million people. What's known about the cause of ulcerative colitis? Dr. Yar says very little. For both ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, unfortunately, we haven't identified a specific cause of both diseases. There is definitely an abnormal immune response to what we call antigens, which are things either in the environment or our own bacteria that trigger this abnormal immune response in a specific genetic background. So some people may trigger it and some other people may not. As Dr. Yar mentioned, inflammatory bowel diseases like ulcerative colitis have a spectrum with varying degrees degrees in severity between patients suffering from it. So is there any way for doctors to know when or how frequently someone will develop flare-ups? That's a great question. So for ulcerative colitis, I think that a more severe disease and a more extensive disease usually has a worse prognosis. In other words, if somebody has very mild disease limited to the rectum, it's less likely to develop a severe flare or need a colon resection when compared with somebody that presents with really bad disease that is admitted in the hospital with a involvement of the entire colon. Now, it can be variable, and that's an important concept because many physicians think that somebody has a very limited disease, it's really not even worth treating and just watching that person without doing anything. But the truth is that ulcerative colitis is a progressive disease and can get worse. And to complicate things even further, because of the characteristics of the disease and how it behaves throughout time, some people can be doing terrible and then without treatment being in remission for several years or months before symptoms coming again. So it's very tricky in that sense. Next, he tells us about antigens or components that may stimulate the immune system affecting the cause or the severity of ulcerative colitis. In ulcerative colitis, one of these potential antigens are bacteria. We all have normal bacteria in our bowel, but in some people, likely because of an abnormal genetic background, they tend to develop inflammation and over-immune response to an antigen that is really not causing a problem. Another theory is that specific food can also tend to stimulate the disease and others have the hypothesis that a cleaner environment can really induce the disease and that's why we see it more in developed countries as opposed to third world countries. But for sure the number one antigen we know participates in this abnormal immune response are bacteria in our bowel. What about stress? I think that stress may relate with the symptoms but not necessarily with the disease. A lot of people say, you know what, I really got sick when I was under a lot of stress and that maybe developed diarrhea and that's why I think that stress caused the symptoms. Now there's also the way around that the symptoms of ulcerative colitis can obviously affect the quality of life and that causes depression and that can cause stress. We actually did a study years ago on patients with both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and we found that after 10 years of having the disease, at least 50% were on antidepressants, which is a very high percentage. And that tells you how the untreated disease can affect the quality of life. And Dr. Yar tells us there are various drugs used to treat ulcerative colitis depending on the severity of the disease. Because we know that it's an abnormal immune response, the mainstream treatment for inflammatory bowel disease and ulcerative colitis are medications that suppress the immune system. The older medications like sulfasalazine and steroids have been used for a long time. Unfortunately, they do have several side effects, especially steroids, namely prednisone and and they should only be used for a short period of time because of the side effects that it induces. Now there's a new generation, and I wouldn't even say new because they have been available for years,
years now called biologics. And biologics are basically antibodies that go and block a very specific protein or a very specific receptor in the body blocking the inflammatory cascade. The first one was approved many years ago. There are several now that are available. And there's a third group of treatments called aminosalicylates, which are really similar to the sulfasalicylates that we used to use, but they're usually used in mild disease. And biologics are usually reserved for a moderate to severe disease. What about a cure? Is there a cure for ulcerative colitis? Well, sort of. Semantically speaking, because ulcerative colitis only affects the colon, removing the colon, what's called a colectomy, could potentially be a cure. Now, when you remove the colon, there are several other issues that can arise, and that's kind of a long topic. Even though, semantically speaking, a colectomy is a cure, I wouldn't necessarily call it a complete problem solver. It's not the end of the story. Now, as Dr. Yar told us earlier in the show, the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at the Medical College of Wisconsin primarily focuses on two diseases. We've heard about ulcerative colitis. Next, he tells us about Crohn's disease. First, what exactly is it? Usually, Crohn's disease is somehow different than ulcerative colitis. Crohn's disease can affect the entire gastrointestinal tract from the mouth all the way to the anus. And the other big difference is that it can affect the entire thickness of the GI tract. So not only affects the surface of the intestinal lumen, which we call mucosa, but also can affect the entire wall. And that can bring complications, including what we call fistulas, which are communications between two areas. For example, a communication between the intestine and the skin or the intestine and another area of the intestine. Of course, those complications can be very dramatic and can be very difficult to treat. So in that sense, Crohn's disease is different when compared to ulcerative colitis. People with Crohn's disease commonly experience multiple symptoms, including frequent urgent bowel movements, persistent diarrhea, abdominal pain, rectal bleeding. Patients may also experience a loss of appetite, weight loss, fatigue, and disruption of the menstrual cycle. Dr. Yar says the similarities between Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are many, including what is known about the cause of each disease. Genetic studies actually show that there's a overlap of genes that are associated with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. In theory, the pathogenesis, in other words, why the disease develops, it's somehow similar. Some genes are only associated with ulcerative colitis and some others are only associated with Crohn's disease, but there's definitely an overlap. So that kind of guides you towards the fact that this is really a spectrum and not necessarily two different conditions. And he points out a common misconception about Crohn's and ulcerative colitis is that they're autoimmune diseases, which, according to Dr. Yar, is not the most accurate depiction. I would not call them autoimmune disease. I would call them immune-mediated diseases. In other words, it's the immune system that is not working well, but it's not really an attack against the body. It's an attack against these antigens that we talked about, like bacteria in the bowel. So that's an important concept. It's not really strictly speaking autoimmune disease. I would call it immune-mediated disease. As with ulcerative colitis, we asked if there's any way for doctors to know when or how frequently someone with Crohn's disease will develop symptoms. Unlike the general randomness of ulcerative colitis, the news is better for predictors of Crohn's disease. That's an extremely important question. It's even more important than in ulcerative colitis. So in Crohn's disease, there are several factors that are prognostic of worse outcomes. In other words, that tell us that that patient is going to develop a worse disease or can really end up needing surgery or developing a lack of response to medications. For example, early age of diagnosis is one. Another risk factor is the developing of fistulas, the communications between intestine and other areas of the body. 
the early need to use corticosteroids is another predicted factor of poor prognosis. There's some other ways that we can also predict. For example, people that need surgery very early on. So in other words, somebody that when they get diagnosed, they already have severe disease, narrowing of their intestine, and they require surgery early on. And some laboratories are also used to predict how the disease is going to behave in the future. They're basically proteins that our body is producing against specific antigens in the body and in the intestine that are associated with poor prognosis. Now, one of the things people commonly associate with Crohn's disease is food. We asked Dr. Yar, what role does diet play relative to the disease? The general consensus is that food does not make the disease worse, even though specific food may worsen symptoms. So it's not like a specific meal is causing more inflammation, but it's causing symptoms in the intestine because the intestine is damaged and cannot process that specific food. For example, people that have narrowings in their intestine and eat a lot of fiber, that fiber can get stuck and it's difficult for that fiber to go through the intestine and that causes cramping, abdominal pain, and so on. But it's not worsening the inflammation. Now, related with that, many patients restrict their diet and they start losing weight, they're afraid of eating, and there's really no justification. So our general recommendation is that as long as they're able to tolerate a specific food, they should not be restricting themselves. So what are common treatments for Crohn's disease? And is there a cure? The drugs that are used to treat Crohn's disease are also based on immunosuppression. In other words, they either block a specific part of the inflammatory cascade or they block several areas like steroids. The treatment is similar to ulcerative colitis. There are specific drugs that work better in ulcerative colitis and others that work about the same for both. The difference with Crohn's disease is that because it affects the entire GI tract, just doing a resection of the area that has disease is not cured because the disease is likely going to come back. So there's really no cure. And if you or someone you know is suffering from Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, there are plenty of clinical trials available that you can look into. There are definitely several clinical trials available, especially for those that are not responding to treatments that are available right now, including patients with Crohn's, patients with Crohn and fistulas, with ulcerative colitis. So it really varies. And we would be happy to go through the potential options that we could offer to We'll be sure to post links on how to contact the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program on our CTSI website along with this show. Our thanks to Dr. Andreas Yar from the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at Frederick Hospital and Assistant Professor at the Medical College of Wisconsin for sharing his expert insight as we approach Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week, December 1st through 7th. In a moment, we'll hear from a member of our community who participated in a national clinical trial for testing a medication now being used to treat inflammatory bowel diseases in order to learn about his experience before, during, and now after the study. But before we hear that patient's story, we asked Dr. Yar from Frederick Hospital's Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program to give us some background information on some of the specifics of this particular clinical trial. First, he stresses the critical need for more research in inflammatory bowel diseases. Research is very important because even though we obviously need more drugs, we also need to understand better how the disease behaves and we also need to improve how the medications that we have now available work. And the only way of doing that is through high quality research. This is obviously an extremely important area and our program is focusing more and more on how we can improve the outcomes in general in inflammatory bowel disease. 
studies. Next, he identifies the specific drug that was being tested in the clinical trial we'll look at next. The drug in this specific patient is called vedolizumab. So the commercial name is Entivio. Vedolizumab has a very distinct characteristic, and that's the fact that it only blocks the inflammation in the intestine. So that kind of changed the game because all the other drugs that we had before, or at least all the other biologics, affect the immune response in the entire body. So by having a more selective drug, that opens the possibility of a potentially safer drug. He further explains the basic science behind how vedolizumab, or Entivio, works. The mechanism of action of velolizumab is to block a very specific receptor and that translates into migration of white cells into the intestine. Now the benefit of it is that it only blocks the migration of these white cells from the blood to the intestine and not to other areas of the body. So in theory, and so far has proven to be correct, there's no potential risk for infections in other areas of the body like the lung or the bones. So with that background, let's now hear from our next guest. Meet Chad. Chad is a relatively healthy businessman. He has a family and a career. But while life today for Chad is good, his outlook wasn't always so positive, beginning with a serious health issue that surfaced in his teens. Senior year in high school, uh, football player, kind of hit the brakes on me pretty quickly in November of 1998. Just turned 18 years old. So while his classmates were dealing with more typical high school drama, Chad began dealing with symptoms of a serious health issue. Starting having problems keeping breakfast down, having to go to the bathroom before school, abdomen pain at practice, abdomen pain after practice. Didn't say anything until after the football season was over. And then I had a complete blockage that sent me to the emergency room. They thought it was my appendix, actually, until someone said, check this guy for Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis first. And they put the brakes on, and the next morning they said, we think you have Crohn's disease and you don't have appendicitis. Diagnosed with a chronic disease at just 18 years old, reality set in. Probably the biggest reaction was, what is Crohn's disease? I've never heard of it, and how is this going to affect me the rest of my life, and will it? And it kind of scared me. And so in dealing with Crohn's disease, Chad's approach to day-to-day -day life needed to change, suddenly and dramatically. Depending on how much sleep you had the night before, you need to decide if you're going to go to work school that day. Evaluate what you have to wear that day, what you need to prepare, any kind of cleanup or how far away you're going to be from the restroom that day, how far is the drive from home. Pretty much have to plan it out in your head and it, it makes a great deal of stress and as most people know, stress makes Crohn's and ulcerative colitis worse and it can snowball if you can't control the stress of dealing with the disease. Being on a spectrum, the symptoms of Crohn's and ulcerative colitis can vary. Chad tells us his symptoms during an active flare-up typically begin with abdominal pain. It starts off as a mild stomachache and gradually progresses to severe abdominal pain. An 8 to 10 second pain like no other that would put you down to your knees. And I remember wondering what it was, when it was going to stop. The other normal symptoms of a flare is loose stools throughout the day, which is not very fun to deal with. And that's where sometimes the accidents come to play. But pain and loose stools are the two big ones, I would say. I feel like my type of Crohn's is a little bit different than some of the more normal symptoms out there. There's no blood, just all pain. I definitely didn't get off easy. I can say that much. Over the years, Chad was prescribed several different medications with varying results. 
Flagyl, Azacol, high doses of antibiotics. Remicade was the first step up, which did work for a while. And after nine months, they took me off of it, and immediately I got worse. After that, I tried Humira, and then I also tried Synthia, and that started not to work so great, and that's when I went to Frederick, and that's when I met Dr. Stein, and he told me about a study coming up with Antivio, and the rest was history. Because that's when Chad entered the Vetalizumab, or Antivio, clinical trial that was being conducted in part through the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at Frederick and the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Andreas Yar emphasizes that this was a nationwide clinical trial being conducted simultaneously at several medical and academic medical institutions. Usually there's a institution that puts together enough number of patients to prove that the drug works. Unfortunately, sometimes it's difficult to recruit patients and in order to have a good scientific paper, you need sometimes hundreds of patients. That's why most of the clinical trials with new drugs are performed in multiple sites. Chad says his decision to participate in the trial was an easy one. For me, it was a no-brainer. I did some of my own research, and then we decided to go ahead and do it. And he tells us that the actual participation was equally easy. We had a startup office visit where they took all my vitals, basically what my health was before I started the trial so they could mark it. And then I did two, four, and eight weeks to start up, which is normal for most of the medications I've been on. Then it turned into every month after that. And within eight weeks, I was seeing pretty good results already. Next, he describes how Intivia was administered to him in the clinical trial. It was an infusion. They would hook me up, start an IV, flush it, and then it would be about a half an hour infusion. And then I had a one-hour observation period after it was done. And then if I showed no signs of an allergic reaction, I would let go and never once did I show any kind of allergic reaction. So how soon did Chad begin to see positive results from the trial medication? Almost immediately. I would say in the four to six week range, I started to notice my bathroom trips going down. The stool formation was different in a good way. And I kind of played it off. I thought there was no way this could happen this fast. But then at six weeks, it was undeniable that it was helping. I told myself on several occasions, this is so worth it because I would say at 10 weeks, I went from 18 to 20 bathroom trips a day down to three. And I eventually got down to normal. And I actually have been normal ever since. Doctor Andreas Yar says this clinical trial has resulted in successful outcomes for many patients with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Vedolizumab was approved by the FDA for both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. The results with ulcerative colitis were actually quite dramatic in the clinical trials and Vedolizumab has been quite popular first because historically the amount of drugs available for both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis is limited. Second because biologics in general, well they have the advantage of being quite safe, they can induce a rejection by the body, what's called immunogenicity, and stop working. Many patients lose response to other drugs that were already available and they had no other options. And vedolizumab opened up a new door for them. Including Chad, whose clinical trial experience resulted in a successful outcome and a greatly improved quality of life. It's the complete opposite. Stress level goes down, regular restroom trips. You start not to worry about how far away you're gonna be from home or from your office or from a restroom. It makes family life better. The quality of life in general just goes up a complete 180 since before the trial. So would he recommend others consider participating in clinical trials? I absolutely would. 
I thought about this every day after I was getting better, that I should have done it a long time ago. First, you get the right doctors. They all made it happen together, and Dr. Stein just brought it to the table, let me make my own decision, didn't force me to do it, but said, this might help your quality of life, and I decided to do it. And I would recommend a clinical trial to anybody. It worked for me. And Chad says, in addition to improved quality of life, a clinical trial can give you something else, hope. Maybe when I was first diagnosed, I didn't have enough people around me that could assure me there's hope. Clinical trials give people hope. You go to a hospital where people understand and they can give you instructions on how to move through this disease and progress positively. As years go by, you get used to feeling so much better, but then you have to make yourself remember how horrible it was. You start to forget when it started getting better because it's been so long. I'd like to forget the bad days. Dr. Andreas Yar echoes Chad's message of hope for all sufferers of inflammatory bowel diseases. I think we're moving quite fast. Understanding of the disease has been exponentially going up. It's very difficult to know when there will be a specific cure for Crohn's disease or a cure that will treat ulcerative colitis without the need of surgery. Nevertheless, I think that we have enough resources to use the medications that we have now in order to treat patients the right way and put them in remission. What I always tell the patients is that everybody should expect to be in complete remission and they should not just assume that having symptoms is part of their normal disease. I would encourage all patients to be hopeful and to expect to be in complete remission. That's where Chad is today. And he sums it up this way, living with Crohn's disease before his clinical trial experience. Hopelessness and despair. And after? A new hope. Again, if you'd like to learn more about Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, the inflammatory bowel disease program, clinical trials, and more, we'll post links on our CTSI website along with this show. And with Chad's inspiring story, we've reached an end for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. Andreas Yarer, and a special thanks to Chad. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you healthy days ahead. To listen to this program online, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. And while you're there, please be sure to take a moment and sign up as a community member. We need your help as we strive to advance clinical and translational team science in improving the health of our community and people worldwide. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer, co-produced by Tom Crawford and Jeremy Kuzniar in collaboration with WMSC Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir. 